Hello, hello everyone. My name is Jack and you're listening to the Dev90X podcast. It is day 22 and time is just flying. Uh, Cygnus update is that I actually feel so much better today. Uh, today is Saturday and I've got plans for the weekend to once again head back down to Uluwatu and celebrate a friend's birthday. And I'm just I'm really, really glad that I feel good again today. Um, even though I didn't sleep amazingly last night, I was quite energized until late and my sleep hormones did not kick in when I expected or hoped for them to. So I was a bit worried. You know when you get that anxiety like, oh, no, no, I've got a big day tomorrow and I'm not getting my sleep. And then that anxiety just becomes perpetual and... Um, just makes your sleep even worse. It was like that, but then I woke up feeling pretty good. So awesome. Mental clarity today is so much better than yesterday. It's bonkers. Yesterday, I was having trouble with the simplest of tasks and I really didn't understand why. I had slept pretty well, but I just didn't have much energy, especially mental energy, uh, even after drinking coffee. So uh, I'm really glad about that and I'm just feeling good about next week in general. This week hasn't been a total write-off but to be honest, I've been really just just doing the bare minimum this week because I haven't had, yeah, haven't had the energy that I, that I want to have. Interestingly, there's, there's like an energy threshold for... For me anyway, when I'm thinking about learning something difficult that's, that is going to require a lot of, I don't know, access to my memory and, and when I feel my memory is not functioning very well, like I don't have immediate ready access to all the information in my brain or I can't like, you know, load things up into my RAM, so to speak, um, I, I tend to just give up on trying. And I'm not sure if that's the right strategy as I could still try. I could still try to do hard things when I'm not feeling the best. Um, But instead of that, I kind of focused on the easy things. And that's also a pretty good strategy as well. I, um, yeah, I, you know, it was pretty easy to go and buy a new phone, for example, and to, you know, start transitioning from Android over to iPhone and that's what I spent a good amount of time on uh, yesterday and this morning just loading up my new iPhone but before I get into that Jack's hack for today this is kind of a life principle of mine and I've had this one running for a few years now it's, it started out with don't knock it till you try it. So don't, this is like an Australian slang thing, right? <laughs> don't knock it till you try it. Um, a lot of people say this in Australia, jokingly about things that are probably bad to try <laughs> even just once. Like, um, you know, uh, shot, like shotgunning a beer or something like that. Um, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it started out as a joke, but actually there's, 
there is a valuable under, undertone to it, which is that you shouldn't make evaluations on things that you don't understand. And I actually went one step further with that before adopting this as a life principle of mine, uh, which is don't knock it till you know it. And so what I've found is that psychologically, whenever I try something new for the first time, my mind wants to make an initial evaluation of the difficulty factor or the boringness factor or the complexity factor of the thing. Um, so, and you can apply this to anything like learning a new language, learning how to drive a new vehicle, operate a new piece of machinery, learning a new tool. Um, even like, even like, uh, commuting to, uh, your workplace from from your home. Initially, you're not good at things. Like when you try something for the very first time, you make an initial evaluation, and a lot of the times that comes back as like, ah, fuck my life. You know, like this thing is hard, or this 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 is inconvenient, or uh, you know, this is gonna take forever. All of those evaluations happen frequently, but they don't take into account what what the situation looks like after you've optimized. And so now I run this in the back of my mind. Don't knock it till you know it. What are some of the things that I can optimize before I make an initial evaluation of the hardness, difficulty factor of this of this new thing? And this has been a really powerful thing for me because it makes me it forces me to think, all right, this is bad or not ideal or I'm not happy with this or this is hard or this is complicated. How can I make this easier before I, you know, uh, discredit it or write it off as something that I don't want to do or something that's not fun or something I'm not interested in. And I've been, I've been so surprised at what just a few optimizations can do in terms of making something so much better. Um, you know, for example, if you evaluate your ability to write software, write code, um, the very first time that you try, then you're probably, you're probably going to say that this is too difficult or this is not for you. But if you just give it, let's, let's just say that you do 30 coding tutorials and you say, all right, I'll make my mind up after 30 tutorials. Let's say each tutorial takes an hour of time. You do one a day and you just pick tutorials that are pretty fun. And overall, you've, you've, you're, you're having your hand held along the way. So you're not really, you don't really have to think too hard for yourself. Then make up your, make up your mind if coding is, is for you or not after 30 tutorials. Because after 30 tutorials, you're going to see so many ways that you can change the way you think about things, that you can you know, tools that make it, make the job easier, um, or more fun or more interesting, or, you know, as you're going along, think about, all right, how can I make this more fun? How can I make this more interesting? How can I make this easier? How can I make this, um, more effective? Like there's all these things that you can do along the way that completely change the game after a little while. And you never know, like you never know what might be what might be waiting for you, what opportunities might be waiting for you around that, around the corner of 
of optimization. And so I invite everyone listening to this to adopt this, this framework. Uh, don't knock it till you know it. Don't knock it till you're good at it. Don't knock it till you've optimized. That's my hack for today. <laughs> so next section is my initial thoughts on the iPhone 12. I know everyone's dying to hear about this. <laughs> I thought I'd just do a little, little section. I've had it for just about, well, I've been using it for about 24 hours now. And I haven't even fully been using it because I've just been transitioning over from Samsung Galaxy S9 to, to the iPhone 12. First, first things is that it's a bit heavier, a bit bulkier in my hand, which I don't mind. It has a really nice screen compared to the Galaxy S9. Um, brighter color, adaptive color. That's pretty cool. Um, I noticed it working and I kind of like it. Um, battery, not incredible. Seems to be. I was using it this morning, all morning pretty much. I was definitely using it. I was like loading up apps and using... 4G and Wi-Fi and downloading and doing my Duolingo and all that stuff, writing notes, planning my day, like screen on time a lot, maybe three hours or something, but that consumed 40% of the battery. And so now I'm thinking, all right, and it's only 10 a.m. <laughs> that maybe the battery is not incredible, um, which is okay. You, again, it's like, don't knock it till you know it. There's so many things I can do to optimize that to make the battery much better and make it last the whole day. One of which is using dark mode. So iPhone 12 has an OLED screen, which means that in dark mode, the pixels are actually switched off rather than just dimmed. Um, and it actually saves battery and it can save up to 46% of battery <laughs> if you were using light mode in and full brightness. Uh, that's a lot. And so it ranges depending on, you know, what the comparison is, but it does save a lot of battery. So dark mode is on and I'm using it and I like it. It looks slick. It looks nice. Uh, yeah. Face ID is pretty, pretty amazing when it works, but it doesn't work with the masks. So that's annoying. And I'm not the biggest fan of a six digit pin to unlock Otherwise, I'd rather just, yeah, I'd rather have an under, under screen fingerprint reader. That would be ideal. Just have that. Uh, according to the rumors, that's not coming out soon. So um, that's okay. Um, battery life. Oh, yeah. I immediately noticed the absence of Android's universal back button. So Android, I'm, I'm, I'm right-handed, so I use my phone in... You can change it if you're left-handed as well. But, you know, that back button is just down there in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. And it's a universal back button on Android. Uh, for those of you who don't know, who've always been iPhone users, iPhone usually has the back button in the top left. And so it's really hard to reach it with your thumb. And it just means, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense to use two hands. But when you're just using one hand, oh, that universal back button is so nice on Android. And it's just like a universal breadcrumb. Like if you switched apps, it'll go back to the previous app. If you just changed screen in an app, it'll go back to the previous screen. It just like creates this universal breadcrumb and it'll, it just like backtracks through that universal breadcrumb. 
And uh, it's so nice, honestly. Like, I love that feature on Android. It's awesome. One thing that I do love on iPhone, which I've just learned, is the, the fast app switching. Just swiping left on the bottom of the screen. Sorry, swiping right on the bottom of the screen. And just switching between apps. So fast, so nice, so smooth. That's awesome. Um, importing contacts from Google was pretty easy. Just had to go into the settings and set up Google contacts and all my contacts were immediately available. I almost lost my phone number. So this is kind of crazy. When you're, when you're living abroad and a lot of your services are linked to your home phone number, for me, that's an Australian number. Uh, it, <laughs> you don't have to use these things very often, like banking, SMSs, and stuff like that. Like authenticate. Honestly, the biggest thing is just SMS authentication. But when you do have to use it, you ha you need it. Like it can completely turn your your life <laughs> upside down if you if you can't gain access to some critical service that for some reason needs to send you an SMS code to your phone number and yeah, you just need it. Uh, I, I can't wait for the day when this doesn't exist anymore, but it still exists. And so if you don't have access to your your home SIM card or eSIM, then, uh, or just number, then yeah, it's, it's a major pain in the ass. I was one day away from losing it. I had no idea. Uh, Optus had like send me emails and they just got lost in my uh, promotions tab in my in my email i didn't know that um and they were sending me sms's as well to remind me that i need to uh put some put some money on my account to keep my number otherwise they're gonna cancel it one day away <laughs> uh, and i only i only knew found found this out because i bought the iphone 12 and i was setting up whatsapp and when you set up whatsapp you have to receive an sms to prove that you have that number so I saved myself from buying the iPhone. I saved myself from losing my phone number by buying the new iPhone. And I'm super happy about that because I know that those, those troubles can be very, very troublesome. I am excited about the camera and the photos on the, on the iPhone. Um, I'm really excited about AirDrop and transferring files between iPhone, my MacBook and my iPad. Uh, I'm excited about editing my photos on my iPad and then just send, sending them, airdropping them to my iPhone and then posting them on Instagram. I'm excited about having an Instagram that actually has photos on it. And I'm excited about Apple Notes syncing across all my devices rather than having Apple Notes and Google Keep. Uh, that was just annoying. So there's a lot of things I am excited excited to start having access to. Today I learned, well, I learned about dark mode on OLED screens saving up to 46% battery compared to light mode. Uh, I learned that we're up to Swift 5.5. And the reason I learned that is because I just switched over to Apple Podcasts from Google Podcasts. And it immediately started playing from the most recent episode of Swift by Sundell. I have been playing everything from the earliest episode first. And I, I realized that this may not be the best strategy. Listening to recent podcasts is probably more optimized than listening to the oldest podcasts first. 
um, I have the thing. I, I like to, I like to, you know, start at the beginning and work my way through to the end. And I like to like get a snapshot of the whole journey. I like to, you know, the timeline being in the right order rather than being in reverse. Um, there's something about that. But the thing is that these podcasts have hundreds of hours of content and it's just, it's not really feasible for me to wait hundreds of hours of listening to get to relevant and recent information. And so new strategy, not doing oldest first, I'm going to switch that to most recent. So yeah, I learned that we're, we're up to Swift 5.5, uh, which I didn't know. Progress update. So other than all those things, the actual progress that I've made on the app is that I've got Yoga Vision built on the iPhone now, on, on my new iPhone 12, and also on my iPad. And the UI works perfectly on the iPhone as expected, which is nice, but it keeps crashing and it doesn't crash on my iPad. Not sure why. Um, that's my next, my next challenge is to figure out why it's crashing. Got to plug it in, got to run the app, got to look at the debug console, see what's going on and figure that out. Uh, that's, that's the next task. And also the app creator created this app to use the, the rear facing camera so that he could, um, I guess, demo it uh, by just showing how it works, looking at pictures on a screen, I'm guessing, um, because yeah, demoing the app by actually using the app and getting into a yoga pose is a little bit difficult from a, or maybe slower from a development point of view. Uh, so I got to change the camera API to use the front-facing camera instead of the rear-facing camera. Um, and, and I've got to put my model into the app so that we are detecting handstands and not plank pose. So that is what I've got on my plate. Other than that, we've got a bunch of questions. I just wrote a bunch of questions. Uh, one of them was, do you get used to dark mode? So I've switched all my devices over to dark mode now. And one of them, one of the reasons was because I, I got used to using dark mode in VS Code. I really loved it. I loved the... VS Code is amazing. I love VS Code. And when I tried to do the same in Xcode, it like did the code background, the code block in dark mode, but then the window UI was still in light mode because that, that adopts from the system. UI and so I switched my whole system over to dark mode just so I could have that and now I'm just in dark mode everything's in dark mode <laughs> and I think I think you just get used to it I think that's how it works uh, am I going to continue using my old Android phone will I find it useful that's a question that's open in my mind at the moment uh, right now I find it inconvenient to have to charge two devices carry two devices um, and just use just have my workflows split between two devices. So in a way, right now, it's inconvenient having two phones. But um, I don't know. I'll uh, I'll update you all on that one if I do find it useful having both an iPhone and an Android device. Uh, is listening to people talk about code helpful for learning? One thing I find I do find as a beginner listening to people just talking about code is uh confusing yeah confusing a lot of the times you have 
no context of what they're talking about because you don't have any experience doing the same things that they're talking about doing. And so in that sense, that there's a lack of comprehensible input. But I do find, I think, this is my theory, is that if, if you listen enough, if you listen to people, and I'm talking podcasts here, if you listen to people talking about code enough, then eventually it becomes comprehensible input because you become aware of things and then and then you learn what they are after you're aware of them. So regardless, I'm going to keep doing it because it's just an easy win. You know, there's a lot of dead time when I'm just driving places on my scooter. I have that opportunity and I, I, I think that's the best thing to fill that opportunity with is just listening to people talk about talk about code, talk about development on uh, on podcasts. What is the optimal number of hours per day to spend coding? What is that sweet spot? I think that the sweet spot is the, is the amount of time that it remains fun and engaging. And if you, if you get past that where it's like now you're in fatigue mode or now you're in burnout mode and you're just trying to push through, then that's, that's where you've gone past the sweet spot. Um, and the reason I think that that is the optimal number of hours to spend coding or developing per day is because this is definitely a marathon and it's something that uh, you should be doing every day. It's, it's a difficult, challenging, complex skill set to learn. And the best way to learn difficult, challenging, complex skill sets is to practice every single day. And so, and never get burnt out, never get fatigued, um, always be able to recover each day and, uh, and take advantage of that learning that happens overnight when you're dreaming. Uh, if you don't do any practice for one day, then you might miss out on, on that opportunity. So just, I don't know, there's something about when you're asleep, your body just, your mind just learns things, integrates things. Um, so daily, a daily habit is good, um, but I think it should be daily and fun. If it's not fun, then you're going to not do it every day. Uh, are there any good Xcode extensions similar to VS Code extensions? That is a question I would love to know the answer to. Uh, VS Code has an incredible extension library. And so far, it doesn't seem like Xcode has any extensions that are like, like really good. Can you develop iOS apps in VS Code? Something that I'm interested in, but I don't think so. Um, so far, it seems that Xcode has the the best developer experience for just referencing Apple's APIs. And I'm not sure if VS Code has that, although they might have an extension, who knows, who knows. Um, and I guess if you're, now that I'm thinking about it, I suppose if you're not using storyboards, then you could develop in VS Code. If you're, just, if you're doing your UI layouts with code, purely, purely code, then it wouldn't matter because it's all just text and it's all just saved as a .swift file. So it really wouldn't matter. I know that VS Code does support .swift files. So yeah, I, I suppose it's possible, but I'm not sure. I will update on that in the future. Um, why is my Yoga Vision app crashing? No idea. That is an open question that I'm going to find out. Oh, this, this one's a good one. How can I do bite-sized learning with my phone, with my iPhone? So 
With language learning, it's easy. You just get flashcards. You just get Anki flashcards. The best way is sentences that you just just gain exposure to the new to the new language, to the words and the grammar and everything, just in full sentence format. And better than that is like closed deletions where like one word is missing, but overall you got the context of the sentence and your brain has to fill in that one word. So it's exposure plus um, active recall. So anyway, language is e- like for language, it's easy. But for development, I'm still trying to find a really good way to do this. And I will keep updated on that. And finally, last question that I had written down. What is the fastest way to become familiar with Apple's APIs? So when I'm talking Apple's APIs, I'm talking code APIs, software APIs. Um, it's like when you're when you're building iOS apps, it's almost like uh, completely abstracted. Like the, the code is not code anymore. It's just you're just speaking Apple language. You're just speaking API language uh, because Apple's just built these really robust APIs that kind of do everything almost. Well, so it seems. So you don't have to build any functionality out of the box. You just need to know where to reference it from. And so for me, it seems to be that to become a good iOS developer, you need to be proficient in like API awareness and just knowing what, where to look for a certain functionality. And so I'd love it if there was a way that I could just, just really efficiently learn all of this. And I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to find out. So that's it for today. That's day 22. Uh, my goal is to, to get my, my model up and running on my phone and, and get it actually tested in the real world in the outside environment over the weekend. Um, so that would be amazing if I can do that. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.